0: Show with
1: published authors, writers, and content creators discussing both the creative and technical sides of writing, as well as the industry surrounding it from novels to screenplays to comics and more. And now, here's your host, author Travis I. Sivart.
2: Good evening everybody and welcome to Right Night. It is Saturday, May 16th and tonight's topics will be visualization to actualization for the first hour, the creative hour, and the second hour will be Entangled Research, where we discuss where we get entangled and go down that rabbit hole of research. So I am Travis Sivar, I am your host and also author of many books including Croker-Norge Case Files, which is essentially... uh, Sherlock Holmes Meets the Odd Couple. There we go. Hello to everybody who has joined us. I'm going to introduce our authors, and then I will say hello to everybody in the crowd. Don't forget, if you guys ever hear this noise right here, it means Travis wants to read a viewer's comment. Let's start with the person directly above me, Aaron.
3: Hi. (laughs) Uh, I'm Aaron Kennedy. Uh, I'm... A technical writer uh, for 25 years. I've been published in the Army Times and the uh, the NCO Journal, as well as my book, uh, Persona Non Grata, the first in the Ships of Valor series, currently working on uh, the Icarus Black Chronicles.
2: Very exciting. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> Michael's our hero. Michael, why don't we pass it over to you real quick?
4: Hey, everyone. My name's Michael Thompson. I am an independent author and illustrator. My latest book is Chicken Boy and the Might of the Monkey Man, action-packed, humorous adventure for uh, middle-grade readers. End up uh, very fun, very cool. Check it out, Amazon. And a great <laughs> personal story arc for Chicken Boy. Yes. I almost said
2: Chicken Man. I would have been horrified. Let's drop down there to Tempe. Oh, nice. Hold that up again. Ah,
5: that's very cool. Oh my this goodness! Is a classic. This is. <laughs> and Tempe mm.
4: it tastes better everything tastes better out of a chicken boy mug
5: <laughs> That's your, there's your slogan
4: <laughs> <Yeah>.
5: <laughs> I'm Tempe Wade I'm the author of the Timely Revolution book series uh, which is an, it's a historical time travel fantasy fiction that takes you back to revolutionary war 18th century to George Washington the cult for spy rings and all of that good stuff and book five will be out next week Yay! There we go. Do you
2: have an actual day or just sometime next week?
5: Just as soon as the cover artist finishes the, the work, it'll be
2: ready to go. Very so. good. Now, first time on Right Night, though you've seen him on Talk of the Tavern as well as Stealing Survival, allow me to introduce John Millington, who knows how to intro himself. Go ahead.
1: Well, I'm John Millington from Conquest Publishing. Here's a sample. Look at that. To see. Um, We are not only a publishing company, but we're a studio. Uh, Our objective is to help train people uh, to get their start in the comic book industry and the book industry. Uh, You can look at some of the works that we've done at conquestuniverse.com, and there'll be three more websites coming up soon, so. And I'm also associated with Jerseys, Cards, and Comics. That's the home store that we work at up here in Kings, Virginia.
2: And once again, I just have to point out, this is the level of talent we hang out with here on Right Night. Um, it's a diverse crowd that does all kinds of things, and very few of us only do one thing. So many of us have so many irons in the fire. Um, so it's just an incredible group that I am. And Blessed to hang out with by wrangling them, whipping them, beating them, begging them to show up on Saturday night to hang out with me. Now, for those of you hanging out as a, in the viewer land here in the tavern, I do want to say hello to Spacey Tracy and dropsum and Cavalon, who's Chris. Thank you for joining us, guys. Appreciate that. And I want to remind anybody viewing, you can catch us afterwards, whether it's on twitch.tv travistalk Travis Talk for the highlight afterwards for the full show, on YouTube, on podcasts, on uh, iHeartRadio, on Stitcher, on Spreaker, on Dasher, on Dancer, on Prancer, on Vixen. Um, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're everywhere. And for those of you who are catching us on the podcast don't forget, you can join us live and interact with us via our instantaneous chat feature that is unique only to us and every other one of the million people who go to twitch.tv slash Travis Davern Talk. Um, I think that's good for intros and, and, and pimping the goods. Everybody, anybody got anything yeah. before we jump right into the creative topic of visualization to actualization? Very good. Let's move do this. forward. Aaron, I'd like to just toss this right in your lap, because this was actually Aaron's idea as we were brainstorming for seven minutes after a show. This is one Aaron mentioned. So why don't you talk about your concept?
3: Okay, well, uh, basically... Yeah, at least for me, I'll get a flash of insight. I'm uh, sorry. just
2: I'm, something. I, if I can just interrupt, drop some, just drop some fifteen hundred bits it. into Thanks the chat. One Thank one you, thumbs drop. Thumbs. Appreciate yeah. that, man. Thank you so much. He also resubscribed right before we went on air, and Aaron, apologies. I, I should have remembered no, no. to do this. Not at all. Twenty-two months. He has subscribed for twenty-two months. It's almost two years. Of supporting us here on Twitch, I f- think he's one of my f- first ones. I think. Um, anyhow, okay, Aaron, please continue on or restart if you feel yeah. the need to. It's I interrupted eight words in.
6: Okay.
3: <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, so, the initial concept that I had was, I get flashes of insight, and it sometimes it's just stupid little things like uh, persona non grata began with a flash of insight of Ares sitting in a spaceport waiting to go home. That was actually cut from the the final portion of the book. Um, But what would happen is I'm like, okay, we got this. And then from there, how do we get a story, something coherent instead of just this little inspiration seed uh, term I've used before. Um, Right now I'm actually working on the Icarus black one and I'm like, okay, where did I fail with persona non grata, which led me down this rabbit hole, uh, which we'll get to in the second half uh, mm-hmm. of it. What can I, what could I do better to make this more of a book that I wanted to write, um, mm-hmm. the first time and little things like, okay, uh, area is an aged hero. He's kind of at the end of his career instead of the beginning. Uh, so I was like, okay, we'll start one at the beginning. Well, Who does it right? Where does it hit? How does it kind of work and things like that? And start going, okay, well, think Harry Potter, think Artemis Fowl, and you get that 13-year-old time frame. So now I've got Icarus Black, he's 13 years old. I want it to be space, and I want it to be in my existing universe just because it makes it easy. Not necessarily the same timeline, but in that realm. And that kind of got me, okay, I've got my young hero. Um, And then I'm like, well... We've talked about it previously. You've got, there's only so many plots. The Nine Basics, the 27 Expandeds, and things like that. What you got, Travis? You know, business-wise,
2: I think a young adult sci-fi series is almost untouched out there that I've seen. We've seen all kinds of wizard stuff. We've seen all kinds of uh-huh. magic. We've seen time travel and, and urban fantasy. I don't, I uh-huh. can't think of off the top of my head sci-fi young adult so well done dinging a nice cross mix there that hasn't really been mined yet
3: no no and uh i i went through this kind of the same thought process uh earlier and it's always got that realm of fantasy mm-hmm. but not necessarily the realm of sci-fi well um, this is why fantasy falls we, under we sci-fi pair them together but that's why
2: mm-hmm. fantasy falls under sci fi. It's it's science fiction, and fantasy is under
3: it because they're very much tons of similarity. Oh, absolutely. I mean, friggin' Star Wars. It's Space Wizard. It's a, it's a fantasy thing that happens to take place in space. It's King right. Arthur. Um, and uh, it's a Western. <laughs> but it's all those things. Right. Uh, so but, yeah, that was sorry. kind of. Uh, oh, no. Um, so that's kind of where this my seed idea took place, and then I'm like, okay, I'm sitting here doing actualization notes, uh, my handy dandy rocket book, um, where I'm going, okay, well, what do I need in order to kind of hit this out? And that kind of went into a lot of technical type things, with the Lester Dent uh, stuff. I'll go ahead, Travis. Real quick, Michael, John, Tempe,
2: are you guys familiar with rocket books, or anybody else who's viewing?
4: You, I am not. It sounds Aaron. Cool. Give them
2: a forty-five-second description sales pitch of these things.
3: Okay, a rocket book is a waterproof notepad. It comes with this pen uh, and a little friggin' towel-like thing that you wipe it off with when you're done. No, oh, excuse me, about to sneeze. <laughs> you
6: got the sneeze. <coughs>
3: <laughs> mm. Bless you. Bless you. Good thing oh, you there'll could... be another one in twenty <laughs> seconds. Um, but what's kind of cool about these? is you write stuff in it, uh, you can erase it off, but it's got our little QR reader in the corner, uh, and you just take a picture of it, and it saves it on your phone for later use.
6: Oh, nice. Uh,
3: nice uh,
2: that. Oh. It also has icons down the side that you can assign to different places, so it automatically oh, yes, sends it. it to Dropbox, Google Drive, etc. It will mm-hmm. auto-load them to it, and I recently got... Four corners that are rocket book corners, so I could put them on my dry erase board. Yeah, it's hard to see, but he's got them know. there. They, oh.
3: Yeah, it's hard to see. It's they were light. coming in,
2: Aaron. They were they were focusing in. If you want to hold it back up on proudly, I got four okay. corners that I could put on a dry erase board or a painting on the wall huh. or whatever. And when I snap the picture, it recognizes those are the rocket book brackets, and I can load it just like his page. Huh.
3: So ah,
4: nice. Hey, well, that's just know. fascinating. Yeah, uh, it's nice
3: cool. okay go on aaron um so I'm, I'm a big paper notes kind of guy yeah um as a matter of fact when i did that for my camera I identified the qr reader and started pulling it up <laughs> <laughs> um but i'm a big paper notes kind of guy and i was working through this trying to figure out okay what can i do here how do i want to do this i'm like all right well i'm a big fan of the three act play and so i'm like okay hit your beats Um, And I was like, okay, well, if I want to do this, I want to do it as a series, uh, but plan it from birth uh, from cradle to grave. Um, And it lines back up with your. um, uh, The Harry Potter series, the Artemis Fowls, um, Wizard War, uh, all these various types of things. And it's like, oh, let's do this um, and then do it in three distinct arcs, which become three acts of the greatest uh, of the greater thing. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the inspiration that I got there. And then I'm like, okay, well, once I've got this, what's my beat for per book, one goal, one concept per book, but I want it to be distinct adventures. Um, so the first one is the escape from Gabardine station. Um, the second one, I'll probably do something. I'm going to flip it do something extreme contrast to that and then on third I'll do that and that'll create the the first arc which I'm calling the Federation arc. Smart. Uh, Second arc will lead into the next political group that's part of the Ships of Valor universe which is going to be the Imperial arc and so on and so forth.
2: And before you go too much further on that I want to jump around the screen here to some of the other folks and let them tell a little bit about how their process how they come up with from idea to completion and tempe i know you have, oh aaron i'm sorry you you oh, said no, uh, no, absolutely okay i didn't want to like if you're like wait just let me finish oh yeah absolutely no, no. um so yeah, tempe, yeah, you're good you're what good about your process of going up oh, i have an idea and you could even start back to the lunch we had in the chinese restaurant where you had an idea and what steps did you take and now book five is coming out 12 to 18 months after book one
5: yeah you know mine's a little different Mm -hmm. from the rest of you guys because mine came from a place of every woman kind of has this fantasy world in her head Mm -hmm. (laughs) that she goes to uh when you know she's bored or daydreams or whatever and that's where my storyline kind of came from so that's you know i just kind of wrote what kind of popped into my head and when it came to the historical stuff it just so happened the historical part just fit right in um every time i would go research a fact for the timeline for what i was working on oh there just happened to be one that worked fit perfectly and worked just right for what i needed so that's That's the way I I kind of came up with my stuff. And I tell people this when we do panels. I'm like, every woman has that world in her head. And you'll see the women in the audience going, yeah. (laughs) We all do.
2: I think every person does. Guy, girl, gender neutral. I think everybody has this healthy fantasy activity in their brains. Um, And also so you just mentioned you researched certain points did you like make a list of these points and how they tied into your story
5: um no i just you know if i needed something like revolutionary Mm -hmm. war wise to fit where i needed to fit i would just go like start going through notes and, and pulling up information and oh look this person was here at that time this person was at this battle right where my character happened to be at the time. And I just kind of fitted it in that way. Um, And it it just, it just worked. It just clicked every time. I didn't have a point where I didn't have something click in where I needed it to. So it was like a, you know, like Legos, click, click, click. There
0: you can
5: Built from there, so
2: okay. I'll jump over to Michael, and Michael, keep in mind you've got a couple different things that you've done that might have different processes, and I'm going to save John for last as our guest, so he can kind of, and also John having a very different point of view, though he does write predominantly artistically and comic book, which, as we learned from Elizabeth, with movies. It's the same, but it has different ways of doing things, or you very much have a marketing timeline that pounds along with it because of the way things are done in the industry. Um, but, Michael, if I could jump to you, and then you just pass it to John when you're done. And again, guys, don't forget, you can interrupt each other to make it a conversation, or you could totally let people monologue like evil villains. Michael, speaking of evil villains.
4: Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh... Yeah, uh, there's a couple ways that uh, the the vision uh, comes to fruition when it comes to uh, the production of these things. Um, and I, 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 when when Aaron was talking about those uh, inspiration seeds or those flashes that really resonated with me, because they're, they're for a lot of for a lot of my projects, uh, it starts with one scene out of context and i'm and i think to myself what what is going on here the first scene that i ever saw and i think i mentioned this in an in earlier episode but the first thing, scene i ever saw for world of the orb was uh the the krakor chase which was this massive sea serpent chasing this small small boat um that's being just thrown around in this cyclonic turbulent uh occurrence. Uh, with that, this root sale right and, and all these a little characters great mind. description
2: for me just those like two three sentences I have a total image in my head and a funny thing is it's flashing from almost comic book to oil painting to movie as you describe certain mm. points
4: yeah and it, it's interesting for, for each of the for each of my different projects because there's an element of, of artwork that I do for each of the projects and Ah, uh, you kind of become the artist, both both writer and and illustrator that you need to be for for a kind of, for a work. So e- each of the books, like they they want to be written in a certain way, it feels, and uh, or want to be uh, uh, illustrated in a certain way. And I have I have thick books of um of these character drawings for World of the Orb. And I know that you do this, Travis, where you have you have the mental image of a character, and then you or or a place or a map and then you'd apply it to into a page. And the interesting thing that happens when you do that is you kind of you, you zoom in, you know, and you get you get that fine detail that you do. And um, it's this sort of exploration. It's like moving uh, like the spotlight of your focus across like very specific parts of yeah. your character. So then when that reapplies into the writing part of what you do, then you can give this, this very detailed description um, it, based on the pacing of your book. Yeah, it's uh, yeah and, for and sure. You do
2: that with not only visual things but story points too, where you have this picture yeah. of your story, and then you zoom in to write a scene.
4: Yeah, for me, yeah, definitely. I kind of think of it as a tarp and pinhole. Oh, um, Especially like with the tarp and pinhole method is what I call it. Um, it's like when you are doing world building for like a big, especially epic fantasy. Uh, you have these Bibles or encyclopedias of your world and how everything works. And, uh, but when you're, when you're, uh, applying that to the page, it's kind of like you're throwing a tarp over that and then you're, uh, putting a pinhole in that tarp. And so wherever, wherever that pinhole happens to line up for the reader, you have a a very specific, uh, scene or image or character, uh, displayed for your reader. Um, but you don't you don't go crazy with, uh, you know, expository stuff. It, it keeps it real focused. Um, and, and then on top of that, it compounds because y- your reader just feels like it, it goes on living beyond what they can see. Makes so sense. I call it the tarpon pinhole method.
5: That's a good analogy. That's that's a, that's a good way of putting it. Thank um, you. Yeah, I like yeah. that.
4: <laughs> what about you, John? Well, hold on. Well, I'll yeah. talk
2: a little uh, uh, before we pass uh, it to John. Do you want to talk a little bit about Winslow or Chicken Boy? Because Chicken Boy will definitely lead into other things John can very much tie into. Or do you want to just pass it, John, which is fine. Oh, yeah. We got the
4: we got the superhero connection. <laughs> um, Sorry, John. I think uh, for, for Winslow, Winslow is very um, – Winslow was a lot like listening. Mm-hmm. So, so I'll, I'll go through my, my three major things. So, so Winslow, the first line is what came to me. Uh, so I don't know if it was visualization as much as it was like being shaken awake by this, this one out of place line, uh, which I said, which I've said before, which is, uh, have you ever stared straight into the eyes of death and scoffed? And that line came to me back in high school and I didn't know uh, what it was, but I could hear the the salty, gravelly voice that was delivering it and and just feel this pulse of mystery and, and intrigue. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And I put that in a document and saved it for later. Until I knew what it was and in the second hour the the my research and my interest <laughs> in cryptozoology really what like spiraled this into clarity for me um, But with chicken boy chicken boy was uh, Oh, yeah chicken chicken boy came from uh, My love of superheroes and my love of animals. So I wanted to make an animal superhero I love Looney Tunes and Marvel and stuff and so all my shh, all my interests just kind of collided there and um And I and I've told I've told this story uh, earlier in the show, but uh, I was I I had my first teacher that encouraged me to draw during class. And so I had this creative awakening. And every every day I went home, I was creating new characters and Chicken Boy came when I was watching this animal rescue show. And I saw this uh, this baby vulture. And uh, if you notice, Chicken Boy doesn't look like a chicken at all. Uh, (laughs) He's based on that baby vulture. Um, But I thought Chicken Boy sounded better. And uh his whole origin is an homage to Spider-Man. He eats radioactive birdseed and then becomes super strong and stuff. Um and yeah, and then when you're when you're cartooning or illustrating, uh that just developing those patterns and how you draw um and and turning your character around in all sorts of different uh spaces, that really uh that that, that really that really fleshes them out in a way because you see them in all sorts of different situations and uh, especially in cartoons, you can really like <laughs> get all sorts of crazy expressions. Um, so part of the story is told in the expressions and the action, especially in Chicken Boy and, and books like that. Um, so yeah, those are my those are my three major uh, areas that I'm working on.
2: John, take it away, my friend.
4: Yeah.
1: Well, for me, uh, things are a bit unique. it it really boils down to what pair of shoes that I'm wearing and what function I'm doing at the time. So um, I might be working with a New York Times bestseller short story and we're just doing conversions into script formats and the visualizations are usually pretty much uh, developed in that. If I'm working with young people, uh, we're more developing an idea into a visualization and then into a story Because we're giving them prompts. Well, this is a good idea. How do we move from this to this? And then, well, you know, write it down and we visualize these particular things. Uh, The other thing is to tell them, um, don't get bogged down by somebody telling you that, well, that's just like Spider-Man or that's just like this or that. No, that's what yours is. And that doesn't matter what somebody else thinks. If you worry about those things and you're not getting your story done.
4: That's that's very true.
1: um, And then we've got, kind of um professionals that are past um students and usually the the issue that i run in most with those are that well i've got this all in my head well i can't be an editor in your head because i can't read that i need (laughs) on a piece of paper in front of me so we can discuss this And, and the industry goes about it in different ways too so sometimes we work in teams and committees so we'll have the writer and the inker and the letterer and the colorist and everybody there. And the editor will say, well, this is the vision that we want to go as a company from this moving forward. We want to you know, promote this particular character. Um, other projects like um, uh, let's take, for example, we have Captain Allen, which is a cartoon um, about basically the lighthouse down in Nags Head that turns into a giant robot and stuff. Well, that's cool. I need more than, hey, this is your idea, but let's visualize all the things that we need to do to build this into a congruent story. Uh, so it, it is good to to foster that initial idea and then try to get them to visualize where it's going to. So a lot of times we're doing uh, character breakdowns. We're doing um, scenery breakdowns oh, nice. Chakra, back into the thing is, is the key thing for the story, too. Um, I can't have a colorist uh, like for our white bird title. It happens during World War II with a with a fairy pilot. I can't have bright superhero colors and stuff in this book. I need olive drabs. I need it needs to match the visualization needs to match the period color palette. So in comics and comics spread across a huge uh, visualization of things Uh, just as much as movies are. Comics will do the same thing. So, So,
2: um, if I may, John, I'm I'm hearing you're in a mentor role at this point in your career, in your life, in your artistic expression. Because I know you've drawn, you've done comic-level art before. You've definitely written short stories and other things. So, what I'm hearing, correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like your job for yourself, that you've put yourself into is helping other people finding their way to visualize and then bring it to actualization, help them find their path and their
1: method. Right. And that and that's what we are. We foster people. We give them the ability to get into the industry. What's now the, the people that are already in the industry, get them restarted into the industry. Now I will be honest. I have my toe into our emissary wars title. Uh-huh. Um, I have, in you know i'm doing the writing mostly for our uh, uh, one of our other titles too um and sometimes it does boil down to like one of our illustrators he's got a gr- the, a good idea for pulse but he doesn't have time to sit down and write it so i'm writing the scripts for him and he's doing the pencils and stuff so uh, sometimes it's a lot of coordination it's like well all right this project's doing this and then we have a role-playing game that we're working on so you know, overall, yes, being the CEO, I've got to, you know, look at all the different projects and say, all right, I can dedicate time to this particular thing or I need to delegate this here. Uh, hopefully down the road. I mean, that's where I can then go to one of these people and say, I need you to help mentor this person in, in this particular thing. So I I mean, that's the that. overall goal. I love that about John, so.
2: guys. He is uh, he's building a network network. He is networking in the old-fashioned way of supporting others as opposed to just pulling them in to help him. Um, Aaron and I were at his shop today, and there's been many times that John has supplied an extra piece of electronics, whether it's a microphone or a camera or a monitor or a software, a piece of software, or just introducing one person to another person. I mentioned to you guys the convention he's hoping for—is it September
1: now, John? Am, Am I correct in that, or August? Well, um, so our Comic Con is August, the first week of August, um, bearing you know obviously Mm -hmm. how things are. Um, Griffin Con, unfortunately, has been for William and Mary has been uh, pushed off to next year. We're going to try to do it in October, but it's not in the cards with the college right now. So, Um, but now we have um, some local authors and groups that are wanting to now start coalescing together and start kind of working together. So um, another publishing group uh, just got a hold of me. They, they're willing to, to work on a couple of things. Um, and, and I'll talk with Tara a little bit too with, with Dreampunk Press and see, you know, where where alliances can be formed. And, you know, so everybody let's, scratches each other's back. Let's talk and we about, all get, you know, better.
2: Let's talk about that. How do you encourage people to work together to help bring their ideas with other people to create a bigger Project a bigger idea. What's
1: what's your steps through that? I know that's a tough question. Well, I mean, and Aaron, my my main advantage is that I'm six feet tall and I'm bigger than everybody. <laughs> just, sheer um, intimidations. <laughs> Aaron, you
3: raised your hand. Did you want to say something before we get too far into it? Uh, yeah, but I got one for this. Um, little things like what we're doing here. Um, on I think it was episode two or episode three. Michael pointed out that, oh, we got the. We all came in here kind of as the writers and the creators, of this, but uh, Michael's got the visual arts background uh, that helps tremendously. You can be sure that I'm going to freaking contact him when I got Icarus Black um, kind of in my first draft stage come I'm, I'm going to want a cover or I'm going to want freaking uh, icons uh, hidden throughout it. Um, my initial thoughts were uh, there's these great persona fo- uh, pictures that you see in. Um, in the comic world uh, and Cartoon Network, where it just shows the quick outlines of Thank a you, Victoria, character, for the character, but shown a different... Uh, carry on, Aaron. Uh, shown in different poses and kind of views, Yeah, uh, which I think, one, would suit his style greatly and I think would kind of work well with the feel that I'm trying to do um, to set up, especially if I'm looking at it over a series length, because I can, that's infinitely expandable. Yeah. Um, and it gives you a, a case of, hey, what's going on here? Uh, but, friggin' we had Tara on, as an editor. I'm going to friggin' contact her first and go, okay, hey, one, do you have time? Um, and two, can I get a quote? Because friggin', I don't expect anybody to work for free. Um, I already know that I can't afford Michael, but uh, I know how to beg. <laughs> <laughs> Or he may just go, Ooh, I like this project. And yeah, the classic, uh, uh, the passion piece project, uh, you get guys like, uh, John Malkovich, John Malkovich has publicly said, Oh yeah, con air. Sometimes you just got to pay the bills so he can do the other movies that he likes to do.
5: Hmm. Hey, Michael, I hear Aaron can detail a car like nobody's business, so there well, you go. Uh,
3: okay. All right. <laughs> well, uh, he'll put me in charge of his momager and then go for there. <laughs> a little, a little
4: uh, bartering.
2: <laughs> I tell you what, Michael, something else. He's also a very uh, adept electrician and HVAC technician, and he has helped oh, me with go. both things. So, yeah. It's. Uh, and okay. that's something... <laughs> I just fake the funk really good. <laughs> if I'm not stepping on anybody's toes, um, it's one thing. The reason this show came up is I wanted that support network as I'm going through my own process to be able to talk about what I'm doing and what I'm working on and how to improve mine because each one of you have different views. And whether I take from you or not, I want to hear it because it's one more way, one more tool in the toolbox. And... This allows me to support you guys in the same way and our viewers and listeners in the same way, giving them the benefit of taking from our experience or discarding part of our experience. So hopefully they don't have to go through some of those tribulations. Yeah, John.
1: Yeah, just remember, it's a net that doesn't necessarily fit the situation, but it might later on. Right. It might be something that
3: you need to fix something later. So it's very true. You know. It's never well, well. I mean, that goes back to some of the writing that we'll do. We'll do. Um, I, me and Travis had this conversation earlier, but I probably edit out 15, 10 to fifteen percent, and then add back in five. He's mm-hmm. probably a little bit flipped on that for me. Uh, but I've got scenes that don't fit in other stuff, but I never, I never destroy it. It's all. It's just moved on to a previous revision. Um, yeah. And there's parts of. Uh, ships of Valor that I'm going to definitely use uh, in Icarus. Uh, there's stuff, there's arguments that I've made in my editorial writing that will seep their way back in, um, let alone friggin' the PhD studies and everything else. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that's Frank John's never of discarded creation anything.
1: Of, you know. Say it oh, again, John.
3: Because that's what all that is. Yeah, it's
1: like here's artwork we didn't use, but this is the creation of this particular character. Yeah, right. to the evolutions of these things.
2: See, And down so. the road, with a certain level of notoriety or fame or whatever, these broken tidbits that we discarded can be used for other things. Tolkien did it. Many writers have done it. It can go into the art of the world of your book. You know, we've seen this with Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time and George R. R. Martin's and countless others. Uh, Pern. Uh,
3: yeah? Uh, even that uh, Michael Bay has reused car chase scenes um, <laughs> Has he? to where, well, no, no. Uh, and and I, I point this out. Okay. The reason Michael Bay got the transformer movie is because he is the best car chase person in Hollywood. There is zero doubt about that. Um, but he's got a couple chase scenes where a car flips and does things like that. And you can find that same scene CGI'd, to where? Oh, the car flips and then it becomes a transformer. How? Uh, oh, it's it's a beautiful scene. Um, the, uh, shoot friggin' uh, the, uh, Wolverine is an example. Friggin', he's got classic poses that has been done by every artist that's ever touched him. Right. Um, it, you can reuse pieces and it looks good. It or, becomes a, catch uh, pay an homage, or a or, catchphrase. pay visual
2: catchphrase. Mm-hmm. John, you raised your hand. Exactly.
6: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think the key thing, too, is with... Um, I never think of them as discarded uh, things anyway. Because what I might consider, or consider that something that's broken, somebody might love. Right. You know, if you listen to... I mean, like, Tara went over... Like, they wanted to, you know, get rid of Neville or some character out of Harry Potter. Well, if other people like it, then you, you go back and you you re-envision that particular character. Um, and, and that's the whole thing about that is that, um, and I think most writers, they'll write what they like and want. Um, the comic book industry is a little less forgiving in that hey. um, they have an audience and they, they want what they want. Right, You got to sell books, which so
2: sometimes that, is, that locks us into something where they don't allow the change to create something new. I will point at, Hmm. Star Trek The Next Generation, DS9 followed that formula, Voyager followed that formula, DS9 kind of broke away from it, which made it a better show, but now we look at Picard and Discovery and even, uh, uh, what's that other one, Expanse, these are new ways of telling stories, and it's not drastically different, it's just a little different, and we're finding it wonderful, and it took 20 years for the industry to change, which doesn't mean we didn't want it 20 years ago when we are watching Voyager going, this again? You know, so it, it's, I think John might agree with me on this one. If you want to create change in the industry, do it small steps at a time. And allow the industry to get mm. what they need so you can get into the industry. And then what? once you have your name, go ahead, John.
1: Oh yeah, no, definitely because and then as you said, once you have your name, then they're following you, right? And you're yeah. setting lead and stuff for it. So
2: and this is we why we watch some of those John Malkovich passion pieces, where this is what he really wants to do because we're following John Malkovich now, not the industry. Mm-hmm. This is why. What was the John inside John Malkovich? What was
3: it? Uh, being John Malkovich. That's right. That was a uh, very
2: interesting. Movie. Yeah, it,
3: which is a it is a surreal movie, and everybody should watch it at least once.
1: Well, the the, the key thing to remember is that you remember the things that are unique and creative mm-hmm. and new, and you don't remember the things that were normal and the same, you That's know, true. all the way through. So, but it might um, be the
2: familiar comfort food of entertainment that draws you in initially, but then when you give them something different and new, happy is a great comparison for the series from the graphic novel where here's something it's been done but not heavily and not quite in that way and it's delightful in a very well there's a reason we way.
3: follow genres too it's true um i, I mean freaking oh i'm look. i go i go over to the sci-fi section i go and i look for something new something different but i'm still looking for sci-fi right um and vice uh, and fantasy the same way uh, I'm sure Tempe runs into the same issue where they're looking for the romance, not necessarily that, but a fantasy or a romance. And it that's her draw audience. Right? But That's the greatest pleasure for me in,
1: in this particular industry is that I get to hear everybody's different genres and stuff. I'm not locked into that. Eh, John, I just like science fiction. Yeah. You know? Nope. I mean, we've got anime. We've got manga. I mean, type star stories cartoons it's just a whole wide gamut of it and the thing is that kids are so creative you just have to help you know step them along and keep them rolling with their ideas and yeah and in many cases go ahead michael
4: yeah well in many cases you you have uh these like crossover genres and you have it's like here here's the genre you're familiar with that you can hang your hat on and then here's how uh you've never seen it before like like you mentioned happy it's like to me, that's, it's very much like a noir, mm-hmm. but it's like, oh, uh, imaginary friends are real, and they're, and they're hovering all over the place, and you right. have this you know, contrast of light and dark. So it takes it's, blend of right, toy it, it, story it, it, into oh. this dark noir. Yeah, oh.
2: yeah, yeah. That's a good way to put it. Another thing I'll say here to, to totally give us a related tangent, role-playing games mm-hmm. are a great, great mm-hmm. way to explore character development, scene development, and genre twists. Um, with, and whether you play only one type or whether you play 50 different games over whatever period of time, it, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, I just picked up a new game from John today, as well as some Star Wars stuff that I love. Um,
3: yeah, Aaron? Oh, well, I mean, take a look at, uh, last week's episode of Stealing for Survival. Um, where I'm running it, it's Star Wars but I, I tend to run a goofy game. Um, I, mine is more comedic in presence because people are funny, therefore their characters are funny. Right. Um, well, And what they'll come up with, and you've got this dark, gritty universe that is Star Wars. It is a worn-down universe, at mm-hmm. least after the original trilogy. Everything's mm-hmm. worn down. Everything's gritty and dirty. But you add that contrast of, okay, what are... What kind of funny things can happen to these characters? Whether it's you know so, all that stuff was a joke. <laughs> no. Am I a clown to you, sir? Bobo <laughs> <laughs> ah. the clown. I heard <laughs> about Bobo
6: the
2: Clown. Have you heard about? Bobo the Clown? Maybe you were there. <laughs>
6: yeah. Hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I
1: mean, I no. Mercer, which is a role-playing game that Conquest uh, Comics is working on right now. They, mm-hmm. It is a uh, no genre related, uh, no class related, easy to play role playing system. That What's you the play? name of it? Uh, it's merger. We're working on it right now. We're at thirty percent, but you're more than welcome to come in, plug it in with us, Amanda and Rebecca and me, and you know, sit down on a Thursday on chat and John, can some you more give us more ideas. A two minute templates. breakdown and rundown of the game because I'm I love right, this so, project. <laughs> so, Merger basically is based off of, at one time, the Druids on Earth. So, it's all Earth-centric. So, it's easy for you to identify with the universe. Sort of like that's why Star Wars, everybody likes to play it because they know what's going on. But it's Earth, and the Druids attempted to um, have this grand spell, and it ended up splitting Earth into three dimensions.
6: Ah.
1: So, oh, Earth magic continued along its path. Earth science continued along its path. And then the noir and the psychic continued along its path. So mind, body, soul, basically. Okay. Uh, we go into the future, earth science, which is our uh, fashion light communication array to our satellite on, on Jupiter. Uh, basically when Orion forced all of those uh, split apart dimensions to come back together again. So we have merger and all those genres now exist. Magic exists on earth, science, and, and we go over how there's pockets of magic and different things and stuff on Earth now. And uh, and that's the basic premise of it. All those things now exist, and they have their own foothold in, in Earth. Now, we're, we're not going to have, right off the bat, like huge dragons and stuff flying around and things. It's, um, but those will come. Those will come out of portals in different areas in the story arcs. So we also want to have a good story that goes along with the the genre of the book. Uh, Mm. D&D has Greyhawk and a couple other things that you can kind of, you know, um, we we want to have a story where, you know, you're kind of identified with what's going on also. Neat. So it's all being worked on. You can make a character in less than a minute if you want to, or you can spend a week making a character. We'll do all the math for you, and you can... It's as simple as picking three templates and putting your name on your character and playing. So if you want to be a gun-toting wizard, you know, priest, you know, you you can easily make one.
2: And if I'm not mistaken, nice, the merger templates. thing also comes from corporations running certain aspects of the world that ties into three different worlds. Is that correct? Correct. So yes. you kind of have shadow governments oh, battling shadow governments. A little bit shadow
1: stuff that's, you know... In, in the background too. so he's there, got- There's an immortal that's, mm-hmm. Oh, uh, there's an immortal that's actually trying to end his existence as the overarching story. Um, and he thinks that if he can get Earth uh, people of Earth through his, his cults to try to split Earth uh, back again uh, that all their loved ones will come back that were lost in the merger to start with. He just wants to end his existence. He knows that that will end up killing him. He doesn't care if everybody else dies. He just Wants it to happen.
2: That is suicide with style, right there, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) It, it,
1: We'll get rid of a whole planet.
2: Now, here's a massive undertaking working with at least a handful of people, if not dozens of people, because John's approached me about at some point in time I might come to you for this or this or even something as simple as how to stream on Twitch to as complex as going, Do you want to write for this whole Shadow group. Um, So, yeah, it's amazing. I don't want to necessarily take up too much of the show about it, but I definitely wanted to touch on that. Aaron, did you raise your hand?
3: I did, I did, because this kind of ties back to his stuff, but you've done friggin' anthologies and uh, collaborative works as well um, in that regards. and uh, shoot, I've done other stuff off to the side where, okay, Hey, there's dozens of articles that are all being kind of merged together in a pamphlet and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But getting the right people kind of tied up and the right projects linked up is a big deal. It is.
1: And I've put on like uh, conventions and stuff like that. So this is kind of similar, actually, you know, the the comic book company into running a show, basically. I mean, sometimes it's, you know who can do this and who can be there and and you know who can what talent can I get to work on said things so
2: so I'd love to ask uh, a question of each person and keep in mind and we got about 15 minutes left in the first hour I'd love to know what was your easiest I've got an idea to putting it down to the hardest I've got an idea I put it down Tempe, do you need a minute to think this over or can we jump right on you there
5: no uh, the The Timely series was the easiest for me. Um, Obviously, if I wrote five books in five months, it just kind of flowed right along. So uh, that was the easiest. The the hardest has been the fantasy piece that I'm working on now because I'm not used to dealing with the the different worlds, the fantasy worlds. I know that you guys play all the games, and the role-playing games and stuff, and I don't. Um, So I actually found myself at 4 or 5 AM one morning sitting down drawing out a map. For myself oh, yeah. with the world I was working on just so I could have a visual to say okay this this is this world this is where this person is this is what stuff looks like here um, and th- that that's that's been the hardest thing but I think that piece that I'm working on now may be one of the most rewarding by the time I'm done with it so
2: it's, you know as beautiful as it is when something just flows and falls out of you it, and how amazed you are when you're like oh my god I just did that when you really have to put put new muscles into the work, it is, I think, right. more
3: rewarding. What, Aaron? If it wasn't challenging, it wouldn't be fun. Uh, think of the easy video games that you've all that we've all beaten at one point or another. We don't remember those. We remember having to freaking beat Bowser on level ten, uh, trying to do his or what is it, eight four? That's the one we care about. Um, or the final battle in Zelda. And what about um, you,
2: Aaron, with your easiest and hardest thing while you're talking, once you finish your thought here?
3: Um, certain chapters in Persona Non Grata were significantly easier than others. Um, I wrote myself into a corner in Politicus, which is the second book in that series, and I've been trying to get myself out of it, Um but, because I've got a limited number of characters, it's hard to just pull somebody back in. Right. I know where it's at. I know where it's got to get. I just can't bridge the gap. Can we offer office. a brainstorming so, session
2: at some point in time to help you?
3: Uh, possibly, possibly. Okay. Aaron, how uh, about
5: I just give you a few of my characters, because I have too many
3: at this point. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, no, no, I, I, I try to keep you got to get away before they
4: get killed. <laughs>
3: <laughs> right. Right. Uh, I uh, <laughs> well, there's a reason I'm freaking go, doing a palate cleanser with the Icarus Black stuff as right. well um, I know where I failed and what I've done what I did wrong in certain aspects there now I'm doing very distinct outlining things like this um, opening couple chapters are nice and locked in but I know exactly where this story ends and I know the beats to get there so um, I don't think I can write myself into the same corner that I did with Politicus
2: it's, I have definitely ridden myself into corners, and the way I got myself out of quite a few of them is, I imagined if I was running a role-playing game, what stupid shit would my players come up with to get out of this situation? Because they do, and as a game master or a writer, mm-hmm. you want them to get out of this tough spot, but you don't want it to be oh yeah, totally ridiculous or, you know, just a, a gimme, um, uh, so Aaron, what was so easy about some of the stuff versus what's the roadblock on the other stuff? And I think you've already touched on the roadblock.
3: Okay. Well, so um, with Persona Non Grata, um, when I originally wrote the book, I started off in a spaceport. Um, or, or the first st- spaceport. Guy's waiting for a plane is really what it boils down to. Um, he's waiting for his flight home. Um From as I get deep, uh, he's out in the outer reaches of space. So this isn't. Uh, So he's retiring, and he's coming back. Go on. Say again. No, go on. You're you're Uh, doing it. uh, He's retiring from the military. He's got a plane ride home, and he's landing in Luna, which is a layover stop for him. Mm -hmm. Uh, I knew that the story prevents him from going to Earth, at least as his plan. Um, So. Getting to there was great. Um, even getting him to onto Earth wasn't bad because you just you introduce new characters to do that kind of thing to help you along. Um, towards the end, how do I finish this? How do I wrap it up in a little bow, but still leave enough unfinished over there so where I can draw from it again? Um, and this is probably about three chapters back from the end at the, uh, call it midway through, uh, act three. Um, like, okay, I've got the twist, I've got the turns, I've got this going on, but I've got to finish it and not just keep extending it. Keep, keep moving the goal line forward. Um, that was not horrible cause I had a pretty good solid map there. And then I had to adjust the tempo. And the way I did that is I cut the first 20% of the book, um, guy. Okay. And I just, I moved it. It wasn't necessary. It didn't give you anything, so I cut it and I put it in my seed pile. Um, With Politicus, I've got the advantage of, I start off at the end of Persona Non Grata. It's shortly thereafter, but I've already got established characters. I do a quick rehash um, and a quick call to action inside of it uh, to basically where he's, instead of Him being able to retire peacefully, he's been recalled. Um, You thought you were going to retire, but no, you're not, which creates this looming threat. Um, But that's your Act 1 section when you get into Act 2. The flip. I've already done the flip, but getting it to where I can get back to Act 3 to flip it again, there's the roadblock. Mm -hmm. You had something, Trevor?
2: Um, what's your, let's see, ease and why is it easy and what's your roadblocks and what's your method of getting past those?
4: I remember, uh, when I was writing World of the Orb, uh, World of the Orb didn't used to have a prologue. It just started in chapter one and it started with Marvin on the bus. Um, but I remember I was, I was, I was in bed and I had, and there was this line that came to me, uh, which was, uh. All the world is elements, elements in their righteousness and depravity, and I, and I was like, oh, and so I so I I rolled I rolled over and I, ugh, and I and I scrawled it um, on the on what I keep next to my my bed when that happens, so that in the morning I can interpret my hieroglyphics, um, <laughs> figure out what I wrote. Um, Wait till and, you need and
2: glasses. I had that line. It is much more challenging. Rocket <laughs> <laughs> book. I, I, I
4: uh and. I had written that down, and I and I'd left it, and I was like, well, that's pretty cool. I wonder who's saying that, and I wonder what the what the scene is, and but it's somewhere in it's somewhere in World of the Orb, and I knew that it was uh, Orin, who's this little like froggy gu- looking guy, this uh, Ka master is what he's called, and and I had that saved. And then there's this one day where I was supposed to be doing my homework and I was just zoning out on the couch. And I was like, I, I remember it well because I was like all, all splayed out and like stressed and tired and 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 just laying there. And and then the line came back to me you know, all the world is elements, elements in their in the righteousness and the property. And then I think, yeah, that's a cool line. And then all of a sudden the rest of it starts coming through you know, water with its life and its bitter cold, weather with its breaths and its fury, land with its foundation and its stakes. And I'm like, oh, and then, and then I just like stood up and I, I ran uh, back to the computer. And, and I wrote it all down and it was, it was the, one of the clearest, um, in most magical sections that had ever come through. And I was like, this is beautiful. It was, it's, it's probably my favorite thing I've ever like, written just because of how it, how it came to me. If
2: I may, and real quick, yeah, I, I am just dazzled by how you remember lines from your own work. Cause once I write, I remember so little of what I put down cause I've moved on to the next thing. And, uh, I suspect twenty years from now, uh, I'm you're just going to be at a place that I'm just going to be dazzled by. You already are, but you know it's so much talent right here in front of me. Go on.
4: Well, thank you. I, 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 well, just the way the way it it struck me, it it it, it stayed with me for so long because it had this like this, this this despian delivery and 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 it was so symmetrical in... Uh, the way it, uh, uh, the the oh, wow. master listed all the elements and and how they have the um, the the potential for for use and misuse and then how he relates that to people and uh, how people can you know choose their own power and you know whether they're you know beguiled by the light or, or deceived by the shadows you know the path you take is up to you and um and destiny and ah uh, oh. so so that was that was one of the one of the my favorite <laughs> moments in writing it. And, and one of one of the lines that came to me, the easiest, um, and Winslow, Winslow was pretty fast in terms of I had written, uh, the first chapter and one of the last chapters as short stories in high school. And it was this, it was this very distant, uh, like maybe a, like a, a week removed timeline in terms of like the chronology of what had happened, um, to those characters. Uh, Dist I mean a week isn't isn't too much but in a Winslow book where everything's like Happening right at one after the other but I didn't know that I didn't know it was originally gonna be a book and um, In way way later in college. I wrote uh, the second chapter (laughs) what would become the second chapter the trouble with mermaids and uh, and That was that was that was pretty quick and then when I looked at when I looked at how they lined up I'm like, oh this could be a collection of short stories and then the next few chapters flowed just connecting uh one and like seven and eight which would which would be like this two-part finale and i and i realized how it lined up and then i rewrote rewrote the ending based on what i had seen yeah very good if i can
2: pass this to john if you can answer the question real quick because we're coming up on that second hour
1: Well, I'm sure tech manuals don't count for uh, the easiest thing to write. They
2: do, actually, I think. I'm surprised Aaron didn't speak to that a little bit. But, yeah, tech manuals definitely count.
1: The technical manuals, you know, in the Nuclear Power Navy, those were, you know, pretty straightforward. You figured out, you know, what what you needed the function to do, and you just wrote it down. I mean, I, I love working with creators to help them, you know, see their creations and stuff move forward, so that's easy. Uh, part for me. Uh, the yeah, the other thing right now is we'll be leading into probably the next part of this discussion is that you know with with tether, you know I keep on getting distracted by science, so it's mm.
2: you know so I tell you what let's let's go straight into the second hour here. Let's do some intros and John, we're going to hand it right back to you and you could speak on that and blend the two topics right into the same thing. Um, I just want to let everybody know who has joined us since we started. I am Travis Sivard. I'm the host of Right Night and an author of a couple dozen books. Um, one book is Tredington Birthright, and that is a steampunk Cthulhu twins who are moving through this plotline as this alien species is trying to violently take over the world after being shut down for thousands of years by humans. And they're now making aggressive moves to take over by bringing in Cthulhu-level monsters. Um, oh, and that is pitch. a short story cycle where it's multiple short stories just interconnected chronologically. Um, and that was fun. I love the interplay between the two main characters. Uh, what about you, Tempe?
5: I'm Tempe Wayne. and I'm the author of the Timely Revolution book series, uh, Revolutionary Wartime Travel Adventure series. Books through one and four are out. Book five will be out next week. Uh, six, seven, eight, nine will be along shortly, <laughs> <laughs> soon, hopefully, <laughs> as things progress. Uh, but yeah, that's me.
2: Okay, uh, let's go to John, do an intro, then we'll pass it to Mike and Aaron.
1: Well, I'm John from uh, Conquest Publishing in Jersey's cards and comics. Uh, here's some artwork for our upcoming Mirror Universe Oz yeah. uh, title, Wizard of Oz. These are the kind of the bad guys in the book. I
6: like that bear.
1: Mm-hmm. I like him too. Wait till you see Theodore, though. He's a big giant lion man. Oh. Um, if you'd like to join what we're doing, uh, you can go to conquestuniverse.com. It has uh, links to. YouTube, Instagram, email. Uh, we're, we're looking to help uh, people get their visions uh, put into print. So, Michael? Hey,
4: everyone. My name is Michael Thompson. I'm an independent author and illustrator, writer of uh, superhero books, Uh, portal fantasy adventures like World of the Orb. This is a portal fantasy about two best pals on a field trip to the Museum of Natural History who sneak away from the group and break the one rule. Just not to go in the artifact room and definitely not to touch the orb. When they do, they're snapped into an alternate world of monsters, myths, and magic that sets them on an epic treasure hunt to find Earth again.
2: What's the little gold stamp on the front?
4: Uh, It's a Feather Cool Book Award.
2: Very cool. Very cool.
4: Where?
3: Seven, I think. Uh, Hi, my name is Aaron Kennedy. Uh, I'm author of the Persona non grata series. I've been a technical writer for uh, coming on 25 years now. I wrote the, uh, or I'm currently working on the Icarus Black Chronicles. Um, Yeah, that's basically me. (laughs) Very
2: good. John, let's jump back to you. The topic in the second hour that we're moving to is entangled research, which comes straight from John, which is why I want to start with him. And this. In My understanding and concept is sometimes we start to research, whether it's science, history, or anything else, and we get down a rabbit hole to where we write a dissertation. We write a research paper that we want to put in our book that isn't right for the book. We can't hand this this fascinating technobabble that we adored in our research. And John in particular... Well, thank you, Tracy. Appreciate those bits. Thank you very much. And John... A couple weeks ago, when I was visiting him at Jersey Cards and Comics, mentioned, asked me, do you ever research something so much that you get lost in it and forget to write the book or something along those <laughs> lines? And his well, was quantum physics, right?
1: Correct. So what were you saying so, or how do you want to build on what we're going on? So, so basically, obviously, my, my background, I'm a retired nuclear engineer uh, and I dabble still in, in physics and in those types of things. Uh, In the story that I'm writing, Tether, I have a set of twins that are quantumly entangled, biologically quantumly entangled. Um, And then they get separated and one gets uh, shunted back in time and the other one stays with their research team.
3: Well, and I started going into, oh, go ahead. Um, For those not in the know, can you explain Quantum entanglement, what it actually means. And also, I'm curious. because <laughs> it's, it's, it's a buzzword phrase. Um, uh, and I'm also or, curious
2: about how far in the time. What, what is their separation in time?
1: Kay. So uh, a quantumly entangled isotope or particle can share data and distance and time is not relevant to its particular thing. And it's instantaneous. Wow. So, this is science. So they are quantumly linked together through data, if you want to consider it knowledge. In uh, ours, um, they are. They'll find out later in the book that they are half breeds, or you know, their parents were aliens. And but we'll get into the particular thing. But what I was finding was, and, and as uh, Travis alluded to, was I got so deep into trying to make people believe that this was something that currently could happen, or prove that it could happen. Um, or basically invent something so it would happen, Um, I lost track of where the story needed to go. Do I need to prove that, you know, hey, look how clever I am that I figured out how to do this, and that's not what the reader needs. They need to engage in a book, and they need to put in how they fill in the blank so they get engaged with the story, not me telling them, oh, hey, there's this cool techno thing that I kind of figured out. I lost yeah. track that it's important that these two are quantumly entangled and not telling how it works versus oh. that. I see Tempe waving well, a pen. I mean, that's... on that note, oh, oh.
5: No, I was just gonna say, whoever's writing this like apocalypse stuff that's coming true, please stop. <laughs> please stop. Okay, you know, I got locusts coming, and we've got the this covid stop it uh, just stop it right happy that was john stuff. the
3: baptist years ago
5: <laughs> somebody write me winning the lottery would you i'm just
1: saying <laughs> aaron what were you well, saying my, my story they find a whole planet so it's a good a happy ending so <laughs> aaron um
2: uh, aaron give oh, your thought then we'll call it back to john you lost it john go on or if, if you don't I have more limited. so
1: mm-hmm. um oh. it And I tend to find that um, sometimes it's due to, obviously, your background kind of influences what you do. Um, So when I get into things where I'm writing about sports and stuff, it's the same thing. I played college football. I know these particular things. But believe you me, nobody really cares about your three-point stance. And they care about the grunting and the groaning part of the story and stuff and, and the sweating and the cheating. But they don't really care about the technical things that, you know, that, that you're, you're delving into to do this.
3: Well, a yeah. I, minor argument on that, because you got guys like Tom Clancy who are hardcore tech guys. Well, was he's dead, but <laughs> um, where they get into the technical aspects of these things. Um, there's a great one about a guy writing a book uh, and he's talking about the Air Force and the Marine Corps and the Ospreys. And he refers to the fuel that they use. Well, he's when he did his uh, uh, initial publish, he's talking about, okay, this one's got JP five or whatever it happened to have been. Well, the air force doesn't use that. So he ends up looking like an idiot, Uh, but the Marine Corps does and so on and so forth. And that technical aspect is part of the reason those guys that niche audience is there to read Uh, your hardcore, your hard sci-fi vice, your soft sci-fi guys like mine, uh, I'll find some of that interesting.
1: the the the, the point overall is, and, and it's not yes, it's it's relevant that you have accurate information about the current technology, but the rabbit hole is when you're trying to create that technology oh. and, and make that work. I, I I can definitely tell you about alloys and stuff like that, and you know how we use zinc oh. and, yeah. and that that's current, but we're talking about You know, something that doesn't exist yet that I'm trying to make it exist.
3: Oh, no, no, don't get me wrong. I agree with your underlying point. Uh, It's just the case of um, we've got uh, you've got a more general audience that doesn't care. And you've got a niche audience that cares a lot. Um, And it's the the classic uh, um, panel interview where they go on episode 13 of season three. You talk about this. How is that possible? Yeah, but we're going to have the cannon police to take care of that eventually. So
1: no, but that's a, that's the tightrope that you have to do. And that's part of, for me, time management. You know, sometimes you just have to let go and say, all right, I've got enough of this. It's it, it, it works. You ask a couple people, do you think that this is possible? And you just move on. Oh, me, sometimes it's not in my nature to let like, go of things. Sometimes and it's like, eh, no, I'm going to figure this out. And so, Order. Order. If I can, I
2: asked the the viewers some of their experiences in this, and I think Danny wrote something interesting that in. I did some uh, method writing, researched what it was like to be tied up and shoved in a trunk. I don't think I needed that much knowledge. Then she puts in parentheses, my friends had fun. So I don't know if they locked her in a trunk or she locked them in a trunk or, or you know, back and forth. But she said she got some great visceral info to work with. It's uh, it's wow. better
3: to give and receive. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's, uh, so is there anybody here who hasn't, just a, a raise a hand, if you haven't ever had this issue where you get lost in your research and so caught up in your research? So we've all had this experience, I'm feeling. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah,
3: yeah. Or, or we're a dirty liar. <laughs>
5: <laughs> well, well
3: I, I found that what I
5: do is to balance it out, like battle scenes bore me. My eyes just glow, my eyes just gloss over when it comes to battle scenes. And with the Revolutionary War, there's so many of them. I like to pick out the obscure facts that aren't really known as much and, and, and play on those. Um, and that's that to me builds a little bit more interest because people will stop and look it up and go, Oh, that really happened? Um, I think the most fun I had was researching like 18th century condoms which was a whole rabbit hole that i went completely down but it it was fun and and when when i when i wrote it into the book series which will be in book six when it comes out um you know i had a lot of fun with it because we've got a a a woman from the from 2018 you know looking at these condoms from the 18th century going that can't be comfortable that's not ribbed for her pleasure (laughs) that kind of thing so you know, it's the little facts you have to pl- plug on those because, you know, if if you, you're doing a complete history lesson, people will like me with the battle scenes, will just completely gloss over, and it's like uh, I, I've lost lost interest. I
2: think that's a great gauge when you start glossing over, you kind mm. of take note, and whether that's research or whether that's just a scene you're writing, when you get to a point where you're like, I'm bored your readers probably will be also. Now, there's other times you're passionate about it. Uh, I'm going to take the stage here. I had one person contact me for a short story, basically about myths and death and how they tie into ancient cultures, and I did something about the River Styx. And I was so fascinated that I wanted to give the reader the information of the actual history of it, and I basically condensed the history and threaded characters through it instead of writing a story and threading the history through it and when the person came back going i think you missed the point travis nobody cares and it hurt my feelings but they're right <laughs> it's uh and i went oh okay well you weren't clear i'll rewrite it and uh to, to wrap that story up uh it was too late They they needed to publish sooner so they went no we're good thank you anyway and I missed my the train on that one. Victoria says, I love Victorian history. It's so easy to go down that path. So who else wants to talk about their research rabbit hole? I know Michael has something. Any, we'll go to you, Michael, and then pop back to someone else. Uh,
4: there, there's all sorts of interesting uh, moments that I can remember. Um, I, for, for World of the Orb, uh, I was writing, There's a, a, one of my characters, Veronica, has a very cool crossbow uh uh, weapon and it's it's a fantasy crossbow so it's self-loading and and has all these cool functions um but uh at a certain point when i was writing it i i thought to myself i've never shot a crossbow i'd like to go Mm. see what it's like um so i can have that so i can just know because experience yeah yeah for reference because experience is a lot like a color palette that you can dab on and and uh when you need it and um and just make your story that much more vivid. Um, and so I went to uh, I went to this little archery place on the side of the road, and I went in, and there was a there was a young man there. Yeah, there was a young man there, uh, like a v- very young guy, um, who was running the shop. And I said, Hi. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys let anyone test out your equipment, but I'm an author and I'm writing a book where a character has a crossbow, and I've never shot a crossbow before. Is there any way I can try that out? And he said, oh, yeah, sure. He goes out into the middle of the store. He tugs on like a rope and a mattress folds out from the ceiling (laughs) with this like a specialty made mattress with this uh, board on the back. And so and then uh, and then he teaches me how to string it. So you put your foot on uh, on the on the bow and then you pull back and you hook it onto the rail and then you have uh, the bolt. And and I was like, "Okay, here we go. And the thing that I remember the most was the smell of like the superheated metal of, of uh of, of this of this thing launching and sunk in this very incredibly satisfying just thunking sound as, as it went into uh went into the target i was like oh wow you know so that was that was a really... I, I
2: was
1: waiting
4: for him to say hey this is a vegetable stand what do you
2: want? <laughs> I, i'm amazed by the whole oh uh, archery thing on the roadside
4: what <laughs> you know? Mike, I, I
5: think we need to make a road trip.
4: It sounds like a plan here. Oh, <laughs> yeah. it, it was cool. It was cool. I was I was so I was thrilled that there was this thing hidden in the ceiling that I was like I was just thrilled by the mechanics of that. Um but yeah, and so I think having having those experiences are good like especially if you, if you've never done something before and then and then you have that uh thing that you can reference so you can uh bring that scene or that item to life. Um but uh, I, I think also, if if you're in the group of thing, one, one way to not like get too spiral down the rabbit hole because uh, for Winslow, I, I love cryptozoology, so i'm I'm constantly I'm researching that. and and that's my reference. But if something's flowing, then I you know, you, you just want to let it flow and then go in later with uh, some of this research to to either confirm your suspicions or or, or, or whatever random thing came through. Um, or find the like historical foothold that, uh, you can, you know, you 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 can step on.
2: If I may interrupt real quick with a couple comments, uh, steampunk countess Victoria says, I find some of the best tidbits for my steampunk novels. I have to make sure I do a twist, uh, a twist to sci-fi. So that's not historical fiction. And Danny asks an interesting question that we could touch on here. By the way, she says that's a really cool experience, Michael. Um, she says, do y'all ever end up world-building world rabbit holes or is that over-developing not a thing? Um, for me, I definitely have done that um, especially in my fantasy world where I have decades of role-playing in that world where I have these interesting points. Um, and in my latest novels, I'm actually going to these points that I haven't been able to explore very much in a role-playing game and bringing them into the novels, which is allowing me to open up those rabbit holes for the characters. But at that point in time, it's a nice setting, it's a scene, it's a environment tied into the story. So, yeah, I think overdeveloping, you put it you put it in the back folder and then you pull from it as Michael was just saying and interweave it through your story. But as an author, you could definitely enjoy going down that rabbit hole and John with his quantum physics and entanglement <laughs> research Throughout the whole book, each scene, he could tie one more tidbit in, one more fact in, so people who do want to research it, or Aaron with his sci-fi, which is soft sci-fi, he's probably done the hard sci-fi research, and he can pull bits from the hard so your hardcore people get enough that they can go, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about. And I think that's a very fine line with an author, uh, whether it's Tempe with her historic vague facts and tying them in, it gives your hardcore people something to go, they know enough what they're talking about. I can forgive the fantasy or the sci-fi elements they've layered with this because they have some truth. And I definitely do that with talent agency and nanotechnology and genetic alteration and that sort of stuff. Aaron, I saw you raise your hand.
3: Well, and you want to be considered part of the community, even if you're taking artistic licenses within the content. A great example, and this probably falls on John's side, we figured out how to friggin' make artificial diamonds to store nuclear waste, and they put out milliamps, friggin' fractions of nothing. But you can run them in parallel to where they put out amps. It takes a lot of energy to do that, but this is where we start getting into converting waste Uh, both carbon and friggin' nuclear into power um, and reducing pollution and stuff like that. And when we get into the utopian kind of world building uh, ideas of, Oh, how do you have a planet that doesn't have coal and stuff like that? Well, this is how, Um, or uh, something for the hard sci-fi guys that I did was the way I describe um, hyperspace and I use a very simple explanation of we're going to punch a hole through the universe. Um, Mm -hmm. All you're doing is ripping the hole in the universe. Uh, The ship has a certain amount of mass and that says how long it can go, which opens whatever paths. So small ships can take some paths, but not the same ones as a bigger ship and so on and so forth, which changes the scope of the map that they're looking at.
4: Yeah. I'd like, I'd like to say that I just think what Danny said is so interesting um, because world building is, it it is a form of research, isn't it? It, It's like a research into the mind of the creator. And so when you see these images uh, that will go into your book and you see, and, and, or, or you want to find out why a character is the way they are and you, you dive deeper than, than the reader uh, will, will ever go. And you you smuggle back that information that that you then layer and 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 dab on your on your creation to 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 give it this life and this history. Um, yeah, it, it is it is a fine line, but uh, it's interesting. It, it's it's you uh, for for like a high fantasy piece that has it for for a world that has its own history. Uh, you'll reference world building much like uh, an author in a, a a grounded like real world based. Um, genre would reference those real-world facts in their research. So I think that, that's especially appropriate that that was brought up and, and, and really interesting.
1: Yeah, the, and I mean, extrapolated technology and history, I mean, that's all part of world building to start with. Yeah. And if it's part of your story, then you're kind of leading that the person on with that anyway, because they know that, well, this history is changing for this particular event or this reason. So. Yeah. Uh, world-building is, I mean, we are all do it, I think.
2: I think a great way to bring your rabbit holes into your story is have a passionate character on the topic. Because, John, like with your quantum entanglement, if you have somebody in the story that loves over-explaining this stuff, you can go into that and start to drop things through dialogue, which is a better way to drop it in my opinion anyway, and then have the other characters shut them down, when.
0: Education is as smart as the world around us. With the FlexPath format, you can take classes at your own pace, set your own deadlines, and even
4: leverage your previous experience to move faster. Now that's smart. Learn more at capella.edu.
2: It gets too much, and that's you or your readers going to stop. Um, Danny says, when I started taking my writing seriously, I used to joke research. Nah, I don't research. I world build. But uh, as it turns out, it's twice as much research.
1: Right. And, and that's a great point you had, know, Travis, is because we do have a I do have a character like that actually has a photographic memory, eidetic memory. And and eventually the guys just tell him to shut up. <laughs>
2: and
4: I think that's a great they get way to bring it back
1: in. in time. He was a scientist and stuff. And it's like it's not helping anything that we have to deal with right
4: now. It's such a good way to make your book realistic or, or your story realistic yeah. because that happens in real life
2: and create and, conflict um, without throwing a
4: punch. Where yeah. somebody's like,
1: we just don't care. Can you stop? Now yeah. and, and comic books we cheat though because we have these little tags that we put in there and says, go see episode or go see issue this or right. go reference this book. Well <laughs> you know it's like, is okay. that
2: character in Star Wars where he's going to mention facts or history or technicals and you get this little bit of info and then Han or whoever says, nobody cares. Stop talking. But it lets you deliver mm-hmm. that info in, in a way that is now comedic or friction yeah. um, and it endears you to that character. Because now you've seen this person who maybe you don't care about, but they have this knowledge and they want to help and they want to share and they want to enlighten people. And you're like, eh, stop talking. And now you're the cool story is where you make that person. Relevant. Say again.
1: Mm hmm. And the cool part is that you make that character eventually relevant with the knowledge and stuff that he has or mm-hmm. his quirkiness. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, two, you like. want to
4: yeah, you want to create like moments of organic discovery. Um, so so like we as the creator, we may know all these things, but um, it doesn't It you can't you can't service the story adequately. If you, if you pause and explain everything you want, your characters and that that's really satisfying Uh for readers if, if the reader feels like they're discovering it at the same rate as the characters they're parting part yeah. right I mean,
1: yeah engaged right. with you, what you're doing it also gives is, you is a key.
2: very easy way to create a unique character voice and you're always going to know which character is talking when they start spouting technobabble whether it's about history or magic <laughs> or uh, quantum physics and I yeah. definitely use that and that brings
4: us back to actualization well right because that's having having those specific things that those anchors for for each of your characters makes them more uh, more specific more more realistic
2: and i definitely and, use uh, that with this book with the twins because one of them loves <laughs> that technical science side and the other one is more let's keep moving and they have their own technical passions where they're not interested in each other's and so yeah that's trudy and spencer
6: Awesome. Very also, cool.
2: one thing I really enjoyed about that book also is in book one Trudy is dressed in proper Victorian garb of a dress and all the frills and she hates it and as we mm-hmm. move on each story she's dressed more mannish and less Victorian proper till the very end she is her own person now and she's opened up her personality and dresses how she wants to um, that's unrelated to rabbit holes, but it's something I enjoyed putting in there, that transformation into who you really want to be instead of who people expect you to be.
6: Yeah. Well, I, I caught
5: flack in, in book one because my character, I, when she got to 18th oh, the 18th century, put pockets in her dresses, <laughs> and I caught flack in a review over that, and I'm like, look – if I get thrown back to the 18th century, the first thing I'm doing is putting pockets in my dresses. Number two, the second thing she did was had a pair of leather pants made because she couldn't ride in those darn dresses.
3: There you go, <laughs> Aaron. Well, uh, on that note, uh, my wife recently got a very nice dress. She doesn't wear them very often. She tries it on. She's like, "Oh, this is super cute." And then she puts her, she goes to smooth her freaking dress down, and there's pockets there. And she was more excited about that. <laughs> And getting the dress the first time um, because they were there. It's just something that's not typically there. Right. Well, and
5: um, yeah, when I, when I looked at the review, I'm like, what's the first thing a woman from 2018 would do? It was put pockets in her dresses. See, that
2: is a would. positive negative <laughs> review in that this person yeah. was upset, but somebody else is going to read that review and go, I so get it. I, I would have done the yeah, same exactly. thing. So this is something where somebody else is like, this is wrong. And other people are like, it's so wrong, it's right, shut up. And they'll buy the book because <laughs> they now know you did this and they would have too.
5: Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Because that, that was when I wrote it, I was very much like in my head, what would I do if it was me? You know, what's the first thing I would do? <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. And I'm like, that's all you can find to complain about really.
4: <laughs> that's a good sign. That, that yeah,
5: good... exactly, yeah. exactly. So yeah. So,
2: does anybody else want to talk on the question Danny asked about? Do you ever all do you all ever end up in world building rabbit holes, or is it over developing not a thing? Does somebody want to talk about that?
4: Um, I I well, I talked I talked about it a little bit, but but I think that uh, I think that there there is such a thing as over developing if it's if it's really keeping you away from creating the piece. You know, if if you if you know what you need to know. Uh, for for uh, the purposes of where you're writing, you you wanna you should let yourself go because you may actually discover more about your world in the process of telling a story within your world. Mm. Yeah, John.
1: Well, um, the, the key thing, and a couple of us are we, we play role playing games and stuff like that. Is so your 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 world developing and stuff like that. And you've named every single little podunk town that might not ever be seen ever in your book or in your story, but you wrote it down and you know how many horses are there, and you know how many cattle are in that place, and you know that the inn's name is this, and nobody ever went there. So, this opens up yeah. a great that, that's that is that is the Go ahead, John, finish your thought. It- that's a- so that that is a rabbit hole for world builders or for people that you know design role-playing games
2: and stuff tempy and then i'll give my thought and then aaron give my thought code. i
5: i i think it's important for the writer to submerge themselves in the world but not necessarily the reader because as a writer you need to know all that stuff but the writer does not it and it goes back to what michael said about the tarp with the pen you know all the information's got to be there, but you've just got to decide what's important enough to show it. And that was one of the first things when, when I started writing Tara made it a point when she was editing my stuff, she was like, if it doesn't relate to the story at that moment, don't put it in. Um, And, and that was, that's something I have, I've learned about. So if something, and she learned with me as well, that if I put something in a story, there's a reason for it. You might not know it until book, two or three down the road, but there's an absolute reason that one little detail is in there for that reason. I don't put anything in there as filler. I don't put filler in books.
6: Yeah, so. for me, I
1: have a huge thing of footnotes and stuff off to the side, <laughs>
3: nice <laughs> things. Aaron? Uh, well, uh, so one of the things that I re- learned, and this was back in the Marine Corps days, was reverse planning. I'm, How do I get to the stage that I'm at now um, so, and it's kind of that entanglement thing, um, talking back about Icarus Black and that, I start the character off in the middle of an asteroid field because I wanted to start him off someplace that was a garbage scout. I wanted to start him off in a, hard phrase, a shithole, um, <laughs> that he couldn't escape, uh, kind of like, uh, Luke on Tantuin. Um, the, the urge to escape is a major motivation for him. I'm like, right. okay, where am I getting here? And what have I got over in my existing universe that I can use there? And I came up with, well, right now, politics are pretty stable. So I backed it up one and then I backed it up again about 70 years in the timeline. I go, oh, he's in this kind of horrible situation. It's like if we were doing modern times, we drop somebody in the middle of the economic depression of 2005, 2006 um, was my concept. Uh, so I'm like, okay, what what would be going on here? Build build that friggin' that political empire up just enough to kind of set the tone, set the theme. Um, which in turn, I'm like, oh, if I'm gonna do that, I've got to take one of the, I've got to take the ship that he's there because there's gonna be AI ship as well. But he can't be as developed mentally as Hart is in Persona Non Grata. It's a younger version. of... Of the same class of ship. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, okay, where am I at here? How is he responding? Is the ship more impulsive? Is the ship more inquisitive? What's going on here? What What's going to happen on a maturity level when you're talking about that? Um, and then stupid things. Go ahead, Travis. Did you want to finish your thought? Uh, one quick one. Uh, asteroid fields. And I freaking delved into, I'm in the middle of an asteroid field. Okay, how big are asteroid fields? How spaced are they? Are they as close as we think? Do you run into stuff? All that, uh, which is its own little rabbit hole of who cares other than just knowing it. Right. right.
2: Victoria uh, made a comment which relates to a note I had just written down, and then I have another going back to what Tempe was saying. But Victoria says, I love that. If it doesn't relate, don't put it in. But know that if it's there, it's foreshadowing of what's to come. It's an Easter egg, and I had just written down Easter egg here. Easter eggs leading to future points. We see this all the time. I'll point it out with my son when we're watching a show or a movie. The guy picks up a Fabergé egg and stares at it and comments on where he got it from and puts it down. Is that useless? Well, later, somebody's going to steal that Fabergé egg or it's going to get knocked over. A Risky Business had this with a Fabergé egg, where in the beginning, the mother is like, and don't hurt my Fabergé egg, and it is a major plot point at the end where it gets broken. Um, So when you're looking at the tight edited of a TV show or a movie, almost everything that is brought in relates. And if it doesn't, it's character right. development, so it relates to why the character reacts. When a person thinks about the dog they had as a child and how much they loved that dog and they saved it from this, well, that's giving you a look into the person's personality of how they look out for lesser creatures or they want to rescue people they want to help this is a personality development so yeah those tidbits that we put in and then i'll pass it to you in a moment aaron can very much lead to future things the other thing i was saying too much research as john and tempe were pointing out um john you with your you've planned every town etc whether you're doing a role-playing game or a book That much planning of your world building can limit your story because you've now built a box or a maze that you have to stay in and it's no longer an open sandbox where your characters can do anything except follow these rails because there are these pre-made constructs that you're mentally stuck in. So maybe if you're planning the whole world, small village, the blacksmith is a thief, is enough. Um, you know, larger town, there's a criminal syndicate. That's enough. You don't need to plan the whole criminal syndicate because once your character gets there, if they ever do, you can then open it up with the crime lord is a woman and has seven brothers under her command. And that's not something you would have thought of in the initial
3: thing, but it works better with your story. Aaron? Uh, well, the the Easter eggs, go, going to back to that, mm-hmm. uh, in Persona Non Grata in the first couple chapters, I make sure to... Uh, I point out that Airy is carrying a gun. Um, it, for reference, it's a Glock 10mm. I never name it in there. I just point out that it's got friggin' uh, a centimeter friggin' size slug. Uh, and it's mostly polymer. Which he friggin' wears in a shoulder holster under his gear. Uh, doesn't become important until later on in the story midway through Act 2. Um, one of my beta readers goes, well, when did he get this? I'm like, okay, I need to draw more attention to it. As an Easter egg, so people don't forget that he's got it, right?
6: Mm-hmm.
3: Because um, it's important. Because it's important. It's a capability that he's got, and not just something out of nowhere. Uh, that uh, deus machina uh, kind of concept. Right. Um, uh, John. Uh, but uh, mm-hmm. to your point. Oh. No, well, I mean, in com- in comic
1: books, it's a genre all in itself because it's an insider joke for the guys that are working in the industry. And then it's an insider joke for the people that, you know, that are fanboys and fangirls that, you know, are are definitely always dialed into what you're, oh, my God, did you see that right back there? That's one of the gems to, you know, Thanos' whatever, you know. But that's, but it, it is a thing that actually in the comic book industry, I swear there should be a job just for doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In uh, my latest book, Portals,
2: that's actually with Tara for editing right now. <clears throat> when one of my beta readers went through it, at the very end, one character pulls out a knife and uses it for the climactic scene. And when my beta reader read it, she went, what's with the knife? Where'd that come from? Now, it makes sense in a fantasy world. Perhaps everybody has a knife on them. And that was my thought when I pulled it in. But it's a fair point, And I looked at this knife going, let me... Backtrack through the whole book and drop it two or three times. This knife. Let's make it a Easter egg. So at the very end, it's more meaningful and it makes sense and it, it's actually symbolic at the very end. If I could read a few comments real quick, uh, Victoria says I love that. If it doesn't relate, oh I already read that. Sorry, uh, word. Good to see you. Danny says that's also a good point. I've had a couple of drafts where characters themselves took things different ways while I was writing, and because I didn't know anything about that area, I left a nice open space to play with. Really cool to hear how y'all work that type of research out. Thank you. Oh, Danny, thank you for saying that. That's priceless to us to hear somebody go, yeah, John?
1: On, on a quick note in that, I've actually had my players fill in those <laughs> regions sometimes when they get there. Wow. Well You know, you know they, they start, well, I you know, I want to go do this. And it's like, well, now I can do that. Because, I mean, you, you have to sometimes, you know, ad-lib sometimes when they're when they're in those areas. And sometimes your players will fill in gaps perfectly for you.
3: Right. Oh, ab- absolutely on that. I mean, uh, last week, Star Wars, watch, watch, the, watch the stream. Um, the, the characters are doing all the, or the players are doing all the work. You set up a situation and you let your characters or your players handle it they're, they're going to react to situations based on these seeds that you've given them. Um, right. And using the example of uh, started off John's character in a back to tank started off. Travis's character in a freezer started off the two other characters in a droid repair bay go. And they're trying to figure out, okay, well, what is it? And they go, Oh, they come up. It's a ship. Oh, it's a hospital ship. Okay. What do we got to do? Oh, we got to get to the bridge uh, as they're asking these questions. And they're figuring out where they got to go. They kind of meet up with each other and hit adversary and all that shit. And in writing, your characters are your players. And
2: I think uh-huh. Tempe might feel this one. Um, when you lay out this framework, this bare laid framework, your characters can fill those in beautifully because they have their own personalities and thoughts and impulses and motivations. And they will fill in that information that you didn't expect to put in the book, but here they are world building for you through their own personality.
5: Yeah, yeah. And I'm at I'm at the uh, I'm at a little advantage where like with the Revolutionary War stuff, my world's already built. I'm just researching what's already out there and then putting my own take on it with the the Celtic lore end of it. So, um, but with the fantasy stuff, with the fantasy stuff that I'm working on. Um, yeah, I am learning more about my character as I go, and and with this with this piece that I'm working on, uh, he's telling the story in a lot of flashbacks, um, you know, because he he in the opening scene it's it's a really bad scene, a lot of people are dead, and he's remembering things, and that's how he's he, the, the information is getting scene, out though. there. He's,
6: these little clips.
2: It's a great scene, yeah. Tempe, and the way you know you you <laughs> dropped it in there with it definitely makes the reader go wow what is this and and you after that one scene which is only a couple pages you've got like three or four things in your hand as a reader going i want to know more so yeah that was i well actually done.
5: cut it down it's down to like two paragraphs i think is uh-huh. all it is now uh-huh. and uh but yeah it's and i my character i'm still learning a lot about him as i go too and but the fl- with the flashbacks it's it's that's the way it's being told so
4: yeah I think that's a great thing. I, I, I love how you worded that learning about about your characters because, you know, sometimes sometimes, you know, we as a writer, uh, as a writer you may use the term like, you know, this person has certain rules, you know, they only use this uh, these terms or, or they, they only like react this this type of way. Um, but like real people don't necessarily have rules. Real people have tendencies. Um, but what might be interesting is like what what does it take to break that person that person's tendency what what gets that person to act out of character and and that's really that's really a beautiful uh, thing that you said because it shows how you're thinking about your characters as real people
5: and yeah if I may... and, and
6: go, ahead, oh, go ahead no I'm sorry no no say your
5: no, thing no i was just no i was just going to say that um with with this opening scene it's something that it, it changes his life, and it affects him to yeah. the point, you know, it, it it's a powerful scene, and it, it changes his life in, in like, an hour. It's, he's, his whole world's different. That is a great and, way to uh, open. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll where, see where it goes.
2: Wordowind says, the novel I was working on last month, I'm working on this whole subplot dealing with needing paper and getting ready to go full swing into paper manufacturing. Then I'm typing...
0: Tis the season for those irresistible ginger thins cozy blankets for cuddling by the fire and making home warm and welcoming for one-stop holiday shopping visit your local IKEA or ikea-usa.com/holiday
2: away one of the characters says something in dialogue that solves the whole thing and that is not mm-hmm. as long as it's not the hold on let me fix all the problems with one sentence You know, if it creates a solution that your characters then can dig into and develop, that's great. If you're like, oh, we totally can cut this subplot off, well, then is do you need that at all?
4: Um, Oh, I love that. I love that. You know, you're letting your characters speak, and you're just kind of transcribing it. And that that's that's a that's a great thing um, to 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 have. Just kind of like a like to be in like a reporting mode. And to know your characters well enough to sort of know and, and let and let them be able to surprise you. But it's such a and, cool experience.
3: And don't get me wrong, that can actually end up working cool, to where the problem that one character is seeing is not the problem, but can be the root of other things that are um, where they're the problem. And once you just go, uh, but what about this? And like, oh, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> but true. but all the freaking that subplot w- is not. It's the thread of them doing all this stuff, which expands outward from them, but not you're not it's, trying to solve that problem. The problem fact, doesn't yeah. matter. It's the fact that this person is, oh, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, and they're just causing everybody else to living hell. Um, can be what's really the. You have a stated problem, and you've got the actual problem, is where I'm kind of going with this.
2: Okay, so we're down to 15 minutes before we wrap this up. So let me go ahead and kind of represent the question. Question and the topic in a new form and see if anybody has anything to say about it. When you've done all this research and you've gone down this rabbit hole, how do you apply it to engage your reader and open up the world instead of shut down your reader's concepts? As Michael says, where you are letting the readers get their own visualization and relate to it. With too much information, we block them in. Like John said, with overdeveloping the world, not only do you stint your character's growth, development, and possibilities but you also stint your characters in the same way yeah. or your readers, whatever I didn't say before. Um, so uh, any thoughts on that? Aaron? I got sure. some. And then uh, Michael
3: after that. We're doing all this research and we go into these rabbit holes of various things. So you start off going, Oh, when did M&Ms come about? And then you end up looking at <laughs> world, uh, world war one bombers and stuff like that. And now I know about world war one bombers. Uh, but the idea is as you're presenting all your information, you don't want your reader to try to go down those same rabbit holes. You want to kind of do the magic, uh, and misdirect to where, Oh, Oh, what's going on here. And then all of a sudden another segue into something else to where they go, Oh, this is the important bit. And they forget about that for the time being it's uh, you leave it with that Easter egg and for later on when you need it, but it's just, it's a seed. Um, so we want to keep them, we want them on, not necessarily, we want them on rails through the story, but never to know that they're actually on rails. Uh, kind of like being on a great uh, theme park ride. Like Space Mountain, you can't see the front, you can't see anything that's coming there, so you have no idea how big the actual roller coaster is. You just know that you started here and you ended here, and you saw all these things along the way.
6: Hmm.
2: Um, A couple comments, if I may. Wordowin says, sometimes, and I may mispronounce the character's name, Ichi thinks she has a grasp on something. Mackenzie turns that upside down, and Danny says, Word, they make a great conflicted team, which I had said, that's great friction between characters. Um, And Wordowin says, it's like a cute version of Pinky and the Brain, except they're both goofballs. And yeah, I think having those opposing views, it it creates drama it creates friction it creates forward movement and character development all in one fell swoop in one line john did you start to say something
1: well i mean before i'm well it was probably pretty cheeky first thing you want to do is uh apply for a patent so you know (laughs) all that research doesn't go to waste it's true but um, I mean, it's back to bookkeeping, but if you're going to do all this research, at least set up a folder system and ways for you to go back and re-reference any of these things instead of just having them scattered amongst the, Even the multiverse. Even if it's
2: bookmarks in your, in your browser, whatever. Just be able to get to it quickly so you can reaffirm. <laughs> Danny says, I heard that, Narf. Yes, Aaron?
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, uh, so we're in the age of Microsoft word and Google docs and everything like that. You've got revision mode and you've got save as, um, I've got the original version of persona non grata with all that content in there with bookmarks, with footnotes, with all that. And I've got the line outs where I've cut it and it's been and referenced back to where it gets moved to and things like that. What you got, John? Well,
1: so, um, And I agree with that. So in my particular genre in our field, we have to have visual references for many, many, many things. For sure. But It's just as important instead of having revisions and stuff through Microsoft Word is to have your research just like you would. um, So we're doing a World War Two piece. Well, I need pictures of Spitfires and uh, BF 109s. But I also need, uh, you know, documents and stuff that were relevant to that particular time of the time. So the research I'm doing, I want it there. I don't want it some cliff note, you know, off to the side in that particular oh. project. Uh, but because for us, we do a wide variety of things. So it's sort of like a uh, it's a it's a writer's morgue or a picture morgue was what we used to call for our for our, for our artwork. Um, it's the same basic structure. though. Now, yes, with. Um, with supercomputers and stuff like that. I mean, I have hard drives that are just particular things. Yeah. Oh, so. I see. I,
2: absolutely. You. And with Aaron, you, oh, if we ahead. could let Tempe have a uh, moment, I see her waving her pen. Yep.
5: Oh no, I was just going to say, I'm opposite. I'm old school. I, I handwrite my note. I have a binder where I hand wrote notes. I have, If there was something, I needed the whole sheet. I would print it off and stick it in this binder and then make notes off
6: to the side. Yeah,
5: I've got a binder this thick of Revolutionary War stuff. And I'm a little bit different than Aaron because I'll pick out the little known facts and kind of harp on them. Because I want people to go research it and learn it for themselves. I want them to look at that fact and say that really happened and then go pick up a a history book and say oh that really happened and it happened right here and this and oh that matches up perfectly with what's in the book how much research did she put into that you know (laughs) so that's that's when it
2: comes to fantasy if you look behind me right here you're going to see a row of notebooks with labels on it like three inch Uh wide binders And they all have page protectors with just decades of notes from my fantasy world. So sometimes when I write, not only do I pull up that map that I think most of you have seen at some point in time, but I have these where I can go, I'm going to that city, I have notes on that city or that character. Let me go find it in this. So, yeah, it's uh, the handwritten note, modernize. I do a lot on this, and then I transcribe it to Word documents or whatever on my computer later. But, yeah, I'm definitely with you in Handwritten, and,
5: and I bought, I, I have textbooks. I have historical textbooks that I used. I found a um, C.W. Colonial Williamsburg guide from the 1960s that had more information than what their current ones did. And I used a lot of that. And I've got notes scribbled in the books and in the textbooks and all of this, you know, this, that and the other. Um, but yeah, I'm very much old school. I'm like, handwrite. I got notes everywhere. <laughs>
1: Yeah, unfortunately for me, I got to go to and think about publication later on and stuff. Like we have software that converts into, you know, 25 different languages and stuff. And I can't throw my notebook <laughs> at it and say, hey, Russian. You know. I, cannot. But I But I understand. And yes, I'm the same way. I mean, I, I take Copa's notes and stuff like that.
5: I still do my taxes by hand. Are you kidding me?
1: <laughs> but that that was the way. So even back when I was going through nuclear power school, I mean, notes were were required. I mean, I remember going in one time with the instructor. I know it's a little off topic, but because um, I was having a problem with, you know, one of the the lectures, and he goes, "Well, let me see your notes." So I started looking through my notes. He turned around into the paper shredder and dropped my notebook into it. He goes, "Here's the syllabus. Start writing." I, oh said, I, don't know. So I but that's how I learned a little bit more. Is actually, I think sometimes by writing it down, you're gonna
2: you get. We got more some
4: deep. great comments over here. If I can so, read some yep.
2: comments, please. Um, Word1 says, I have crap loads of info in Scrivener Victoria Countess says, yes oh, Yep, I have folders, one in particular called Where to Put This, full of great lines, plot ideas, etc Danny like says, that. <laughs> that is good advice Good lord, I can't find anything in my bajillion page world-building docs, because I might reference a topic differently Have papers tucked somewhere on my bookshelf or draft notebook And often with so much and many color codes working on applying consistent organization that can be searched digitally or otherwise. And Danny, what I'll tell you about that is there gets a point in time where you start to yell at yourself and you will take three days and spend it just organizing your notes and what you hope, what you hope, no guarantee, will be referenceable. I don't know if I just made up a word. Later. Because, yeah, these notebooks back here are not nearly as organized as the computer, but on the computer, trying to figure out which folder something in can be more challenging than ever opening up a book and flipping through it.
3: Aaron? Uh, Something I've done with my PhD dissertation is, oh, I've got a friggin' PDF document that is one source, and then you've got the citations below it, and then you gotta kinda follow the citations down that rabbit hole to get wherever you want it to go. Um, When dealing with the military side of things, they don't cite anything or they'll reference a policy but there's no direct link uh, so what I've got I've gotten into the habit of doing is doing PDF edits and adding the hyperlink to the citation on that one and if I go oh it's a it's physical fitness related and I go oh, okay here's that and then I got to follow a rabbit hole via yeah. my own links <laughs> database of PDFs uh, or my master document that's got all my links in a quick uh, literary bibliography. When do you make that? Oh,
2: um, is that like after the second? project is done? You go back to all your research and create that document?
3: Oh God, no, no, no! You have to do it as you're building. Oh yeah, you uh, do it while you're hypertexting as you're doing yeah. stuff. And, and every time you open up a link and you go, okay, there's something valuable here. For again, you pop it into your working document. You add the quote that you were looking at, and then you add a synopsis of the entire thing or the abstract so that you can find uh-huh. it. Th- this is
2: what I wanted to talk about on this one is, yeah, we can bookmark, we can copy links, we can write things down, but if you can't, find it again. And keep in mind, websites disappear. So what Aaron Mm -hmm. just said about the quote, the synopsis, invaluable.
3: And and a file folder
2: that's got the downloaded PDF version of it. Right, right. And something else I'll tell you is everybody's going to research in their own way. There are commonalities, even the most different people, But in general, you have to do it how you'll find it. If you're Tempe, I am guessing it's going to be different from how Aaron does it. And there's not a wrong way to do it if you can find it. If you can't find it, there might be a better way. (laughs) So Mm. just keep that in mind. And that will evolve with you um, once you get so frustrated with your own research system that you realize you cannot use it efficiently. And at that point in time, please do yourself the kindness of Taking that three days or three hours or three weeks, and creating the system that works for you better, it it is. Do it between books. Do it. I don't recommend doing in middle of a book, but you do what you got to do. Well, I'm on version 4.0 of my filing system, Mm -hmm. so it's well. Considering my filing system started in my teens with D and D, and some of those notes with, I had pretty decent handwriting back when I was 15. I'm okay, but (laughs) how easy is it to reference? I have to. First and foremost, remember, I have a note somewhere. And then it's a matter of finding it. And one day, I hope to do exactly this and take all those books and digitize them, even if it's just scanning every document in and creating a folder with the same label as those notebooks. Which, by the way, for 50 $60, you can get a document scanner that just USB plugs in and just easily scan. Yes, Aaron?
3: You've got a phone with a camera on it. You literally snap, right, flip the page, snap, flip the page. And now there are friggin' uh, OCR readers that can actually read that stuff. John?
1: There's services that will do that for you. So, does, so does that's true, too. That.
2: That's a matter of budget sometimes, too. So depending where you
1: uh, were. You're going to buy that scanner. I mean, I that's think true. Usually in that cost. So. That's true. Absolutely. <laughs> Here you go. Whatever works best for you is the bottom
2: line. Uh, A couple of comments. Wordowin says, what's even better is when you do find it, you can't figure out what it means. Okay, I've had that. I don't know about you guys, but like Michael with his 2 a.m. bedside note. I hire a book, yeah. uh, And then Victoria says, yes, yes, yes. Transfer those notes and back them up somehow. Because whether it's, heaven forbid, your house catches fire and your handwritten notes disappear – or your computer goes down, or Google collapses ten years from now. And by the way, I'm going to interrupt myself. Poet, glad to see you. This is one of my regular viewers out of uh, uh, Sweden. Sweden? Sweden? Sweden. Um, Good to see you, Poet. And I'm going to read your comment, but after I toast you for popping in in the middle of the wee hours for you there. Poet says, I have everything in a folder structure. That's like two more folders away from developing its own consciousness. Thank God for modern (laughs) computers and the ability to search the entire folder structure from the command line. Yeah. Yeah, find what works for you. If that is absolutely a shelf full of notebooks, do that. If it's paying somebody to scan it or snapping pictures or hand typing it or bookmarking, just keep in mind nothing is constant except change. And Mm -hmm. everything disappears eventually. This is a truth in history. You don't even have to research that shit. Um, So,
3: Well, VHS tech, are demagnetizing now. You can't watch them anymore because they're going away Mm -hmm. on their own. Oh, I should get these like three tapes that I have and
2: digitize them eventually. (laughs) Real soon. Um, Closing notes here and closing thoughts. Let me read these comments and I'll give everybody a chance to give any closing thoughts on either topic tonight. Um, Victoria says there's a scanner tool on iPhone Danny says lol the middle of the night brilliant idea that translated into something like crazy clowns eat fish while dancing on a banana but you thought it had to do with your character growth yeah yeah, I think we've all had that we're like what the hell was Ugh. closing thoughts guys who wants to go first rabbit hole or visualization actualization go Michael
4: I think um, something that That unifies the two is uh, one of the tangents we went on where it's 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 knowing enough to begin, but 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 leaving yourself enough space to allow your characters to surprise you. And I think that's a beautiful thing because um, you want those organic moments of discovery that not only your readers will have, but but you'll have as you're writing it. So I think that was a cool thing that we organically discovered uh, as a result of the the show and and the comments. And it
2: creates a character win. Your character suddenly develops beautifully when you translate that into whatever your character expresses it as. John?
4: Yeah,
1: for sure. I I think overall, and as Michael said, um, keep an open mind when it comes to these particular things. You know, seek out other people that are doing uh, things in your genre. Um, sometimes you are going to find some uh, unique things from other perspectives. I'm lucky that we get to work with kids and stuff so you know kids do say the craziest things sometimes, <laughs> but they're super creative and you can work with it so um the the rabbit hole thing I think sometimes that's just ourselves having to tell ourselves stop it <laughs> uh, I mean it just kind of boils down to
2: that sometimes. to respond to John's thought there is a Hold on. I think I might have lost a thought. Damn it. Um, Uh (laughs) um, Yeah, I'll just jump to Tempe. If it comes back to me, I'll comment.
5: Yeah, you know, the, the one you helped today might be the one that helps you tomorrow. So, you know, help passing it down along the line. And as far as the notes, you guys digitize yours. I'm saving mine because I'm going to sell them for a billion dollars when I hit <laughs> it big.
2: <laughs> Not a bad thought. I, I was getting
1: rid of the paper ones. I sure. did remember
2: my thought real quick. Um, read. Your best research as a writer is to read. This is to learn the rules, to break the rules, to understand how other people do it differently. Possibly better, possibly worse, and both have value. So read and and learn that. Rabin, I will read your comment in just a moment. Welcome to the stream. Glad you made it. Aaron, any closing thoughts? No, I think that's a great closing thought, so I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Rabin, I'm going to read your comment here. Well, the stream title mentions entanglement, so my brain tried to squeeze my story through a BBO crystal to split the bugger into entangled pairs. Rabin, you missed John talking about entangled characters, quantumly entangled characters that are separated by time and space. But great show, guys. Thank you so much for you for joining me and expressing all these things. Definitely, Rabin, do exclamation point me. Danny, Word already did it. Anybody else who streams, feel free to do the exclamation point me. Support each other, grow, learn, develop, and keep writing. Let's do some... Outro music and get the hell out of here, guys. Good night. <laughs> Good night. night. Danny says, "Read outside your genre. It helps you see what possibilities are Thank out there." Absolutely. <laughs> the size of art and the other writers, content creators, and all-around amazing people for our discussion here right Follow those writers, guys. Hey, Gary. Thanks Join for popping in. Soon and until you do, make sure you create with passion. Enjoy the journey, and remember, every night can be right. Good night, everybody. Thank you.
0: Sling TV,
1: built to save you money and bring you the channels you love, including ESPN, AMC, HGTV, and more. Watch your favorite comedies, dramas, suspense thrillers, news, sports, and more for just $35 a month, and your first month is only $10. Bucks. Sign up now and start streaming right away on your TV, phone, and tablet. Take control of your TV solution with Sling. It makes TV flat out better. Go to Sling.com to sign up now and get your first month for just $10.